Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Let's go to Genesis chapter 30. I promised on Friday I had a fun little illustration, then I didn't give it, so I'm going to redeem myself. Oh, praise God. Hey, testimony. Amazing testimony. Pastor Donna sent this through to me this afternoon. We had a man fly up from Sydney. Where is it? It was Sydney, wasn't it, Pastor Donna? Yeah, about two weeks ago, um, a few of us prayed for him. He was dealing with TB, tuberculosis, and HIV, and he needs a miracle. And he heard that there were people of faith in this house who won't change the subject. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he flew up just for that one service so we could pray with him. And we just got this message from him this, him this afternoon. Good morning, Sister Donna. Just to let you know that I did the CT scan for tuberculosis. No tuberculosis was found. Praise God. <laughs> Whoa, I'm sorry. No tuberculosis was found. Does that mean zero? That means no. No means no. Tuberculosis was found. Praise God. And then he said, I'll be going for the HIV test on Thursday, the 13th of February. And he asked that our family could pray with him. So Father, we bless his body. We rebuke the foul spirit of HIV that has tried to grip his life. And we thank you that this scan will be as the TB scan, completely free of HIV in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. I'm just pumped about that. Well, as Pastor Catherine just shared in her epic video, which was filmed on an iPhone, actually, Paul. Hence the uh, fuzziness. It wasn't an Android. Oh, I've divided the church. That took 30 seconds. There's been such a shift in our community the last few weeks. Who, who's been recognizing that, getting excited about it? So have we. We had an epic meeting on Friday as well, and there is a supernatural opportunity on our church right now. There is an increase of hunger. There's an increase of um, actually a, a, a huge invitation for every single one of us to lay aside things to seek his face with greater diligence in this season. And it's actually a gift and a grace, and it's ours for the taking, but he won't force it upon us. And there is an opportunity for us to actually, with quite great ease, surrender some of the things that have hindered us from choosing his presence in the past with real ease, with real ease. Doesn't make void any, any call for diligence or discipline, but there's actually just a gift on our church right now because he's turning something up in our community. And we want to change the city. We want to see God sweep through and wreck this city with his love. And we want to see that harvest that, that Trevor just prophesied over our community. So who wants to see that? My goodness. You know, one of the, I was praying this morning and I felt the Lord say to me, he said, one of the biggest risks the charismatic church currently has is letting their theology make them proud instead of hungry. Really clearly heard that. One of the biggest risks in the charismatic church today is that their theology will make them proud instead of hungry. 
You can believe in the presence and the power and the gifts and the transformation and regeneration of the Holy Spirit all day long. And you can talk about it and you can read about it. But unless we lean in and choose surrender and hunger and pursuit, we won't see the fullness of our own belief. And I even felt him say, and, and you can weigh this for yourselves, but there is a rising agenda of the enemy against the charismatic movement in terms of accusation that, that the risk for us is hardness of heart. And the risk is that it would provoke pride instead of, instead of just let it drive us into deeper hunger for the Holy Spirit to show himself mighty on the earth. What do you reckon? I, I'm telling you, there is such a grace. Christine and I, we have FaceTimed, we actually WhatsApp videoed, because I don't have an iPhone, so I can't do FaceTime. Catherine reminds me every time we talk. Um, but we WhatsApp videoed in the car today, and we were just talking about how hungry we feel as a grace from God across our leadership, talking to people at church. I don't want to change the subject. Neither does Pastor Catherine. We want to lean into this moment and opportunity. Hmm. We want God to come to church every week. Or what's the point? Hmm. I want to be the kind of church that God feels comfortable to come to. That God feels welcome to interrupt and unafraid to demonstrate his greatness because there's a, there's a, there is a landing strip of hunger, of honor, of majesty laid before him. Because we've caught a revelation of our sonship, but we're, we've responded with surrender. Surrendered hungry sons and daughters for an outpouring of his spirit. So I want to share a story tonight to... Um, to provoke us, and it's a profound story, and um, I've talked to Pastor Catherine many times about the, the weight of what the Lord being on this, this story that I'm going to share. I shared this story once, probably about 14 months ago at this church. Um, I'm going to share it on a slightly different angle tonight. Um, in order, I just feel his heart is on hunger, and if we could be hungry sons and daughters... Not people trying to twist his arm for revival, but people who, um, people who can show themselves faithful to steward what he wants to do by remaining hungry even when we see glimpses of his spirit manifesting. Does that make sense? Sometimes we can uh, slip into a place where we feel like we're pulling on God's will to change it, to pour himself out, but we're not. We're... I believe we're learning to show ourselves faithful to him because he doesn't want to appear fickle to the world around us. And if he was to crash in and we hadn't built a certain posture of hunger, a certain desire for holiness, a certain prayer life, are we going to be able to sustain the chaos of his spirit? Does that make sense? He's looking, for, he's looking to show himself mighty but also dependable through his church. And I really believe there's something about hunger that he's on right now. You with me? And so we want to focus on revival. We want to focus. And until we feel his heart we, we, uh, uh, shift, we don't want to change the subject. This is what um, Pastor Catherine's on, and this is what we want to stay on. Now, Genesis 30, there's an amazing story about this, this biblical principle of what you focus on is what you get. Who's ever found that? Who's ever found yourself obsessing over something in the Lord and then you just start to see it everywhere? 
yeah? There was a season where Christine and I, we, we were amazed at miracles where legs could grow out or arms could grow out. And, and so often when people had back pain, we would check their legs to see if they're the same length. And if they weren't, we would pray that the, the shorter leg would grow out. And I remember we prayed for a handful of legs before we started to see this happen. And then we saw our first leg grow out right there in front of our eyes. Literally grew, same length as the other, and then all their pain was gone. And we were just so excited about it that we began to focus on this miracle. And then we just started to see leg after leg after leg after leg after leg grow out just as long as the other, to the point where when I was in West Timor, Indonesia, a father brought his probably eight, nine, ten-year-old boy up for prayer out in the marketplace have you ever seen those shoes that are, that are like that much longer than the other, like one's that much longer than the other because the leg's so short that they've had special shoes made. This boy had those shoes and not only was his leg really short, but it was because of a deformed hip. And so when he walked, he'd walk like this with his hip because it was that and, and the damage there caused such shortness of leg. And because we'd been focusing on these miracles, these legs growing out, there was some, there's something you build in your heart of like the evidence of faith, right? The evidence of faith, and you're seeing it and seeing it. And, and it's like Bill Johnson says, the, the oak trees and the acorn, and you see, you savor these things you see. And then right in front of a crowd in a marketplace, took this boy's shoes off, and his legs shot out, shot out as even as the other. His hip moved back into place, and he walked normally right in front of our eyes, right in front of all these people's eyes. Do you know it caused such a stir that um, suddenly we're praying for people left, right, and center, swamped in the marketplace, and then it's chaos, and then we start to look around, and there's all these people wearing helmets there waiting for prayer, bike helmets. Like, what's going on? And they were driving past the marketplace on their scooters, seeing the commotion and pulling over their scooters and just walking up, not even taking their helmets off, it's like 15 or so people just wearing helmets, standing around. And for three days, we, we would just go to the marketplace and pray because that one miracle triggered something so dynamic of hunger. And then we saw over 350 people saved over three days at that marketplace because the miracle working power of God was demonstrated. And gosh, I want to see these miracles. We want to see an increase of these in our house. I mean, tuberculosis, if someone can fly from Sydney and see that leave, I want more of that. We had another woman fly up from Victoria on Friday night with end-stage leukemia. People need miracles. Oh, man, imagine being the church that, that just has them. That just, just doesn't change the subject on God's heart, just keeps going after it, just focuses on this stuff. Man. So, Jacob. Do you remember Jacob and his uncle Laban? Yeah. Remember how Laban kind of played a trick on young Jacob? A seven-year trick. So Jacob fell in love with one of Laban's daughter, daughters. Uh, yeah, his two daughters were Leah and Rachel. And um, wait, Rachel or Rebecca? Where am I? Rachel, isn't it? And... Yeah, so Jacob fell in love with his uncle's daughter, Rachel. And he said, I'll work for you seven years for your daughter. And he said he was, he was in love with her so much that seven years felt like a, a couple of days for this girl. And then he gets to his wedding night and he gives her Leah. 
After seven years, he gets the sister that he wasn't in love with, and, and Laban's tricked him. And he comes back, and he says, you've tricked me. This isn't, this isn't my wife. And then Laban says, I know, I know, but it's custom. We give the older daughter first, and he, he was deceiving him. And then he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you Rachel as well for another seven years. So he ends up working for 14 years, and then he, he, he gets his wife, Rachel, but then this amazing thing happens. He now wants to go his separate way because he starts to have children and he's growing his own sort of life and he wants to get out of his uncle's farm and land. And he comes to his uncle and says, hey, I want to go my, my separate ways from you, but I want to cut a deal. I want to be able to take some of the, the sheep and the goats that I've been tending for you for 14 years. I think we can, you can help me out with that. And, he, and then he says this, he says, some of your sheep, who remembers this? Some of your sheep have stripes and spots and they're speckled, some of them are black, and they're not prime sheep. So what if I take all the ones that aren't prime for my flock and you can keep all the, the solid spotless lambs and sheep? And Laban's like, yeah, that sounds great. So do you remember what Jacob did? This is such an interesting story. He began to take the healthy sheep and he had walked them over to the water trough where they drank. Do you know what the water represents in the Bible often? Often represents the Bible. The washing of water of the word or the spoken word or the written word of God. And so he would, he, they would begin to walk these sheep over and he got these strips of bark and sticks and he put them in front of the water trough so that while the sheep were drinking their water, they would look at these stripes and spots on the sticks that he's put there. Interesting, right? And then he would wait. They would, they would usually come and mate at the water troughs. And so when the strong sheep came to the water troughs, he would put these sticks right there so the sheep would look at them while they're mating. Right? What does that represent? Intimacy, closeness, reproduction conception, giving birth to things, right? And when they looked at these things, these spotless sheep, they'll give birth to spotted sheep. There's something about their focus in that place of reproducing or giving birth that determined what they gave birth to. There's something of a principle of getting what, you, what you're focused on, reproducing what you're focused on again and again and again. And eventually, he actually developed a whole flock of excellent, strong, high-grade sheep with spots and stripes. And then and Laban ended up getting weaker and weaker sheep. Do you remember that? Yeah. There is such a principle in there for us of focus. As they're right through the parables as well, the persistent widow the persistent neighbor. There's something about focusing on what you want and pursuing it until you get it. And focus just grows and grows and grows. You've seen it, right? It can happen in the negative sense too. Who's ever had that? The more you think about it, the bigger it gets. Sometimes the smaller God feels, right? It's the same. It's the same with the miraculous power of God. Who's ever felt like you've gone a bit like this when it comes to miracles or pursuing things like that? And you've had seasons where you've seen a lot and then it's kind of dwindled a bit and your focus is changing. And I shared about this on Friday, but we, we don't idolize the miraculous here, but we recognize that it's an attribute of who God is to, to display his glory. 
And when we're intimate with our God, we catch his heart for it and begin to be hungry to see his glory manifest. Who's ever felt that? Now, there can be a backwards approach to that where you come into a community and you haven't quite yet um, prioritized the pursuit of intimacy with God. And so instead, you prioritize signs, wonders, and miracles without that inner life with God. And that's how you end up on a roller coaster, right? Because your anchor isn't intimacy with him, which is where you're constantly reminded of your acceptance, his love for you, right? Who you are in him. That's the backwards way to do this. But when you get close to him, you begin to catch his heart for his power to be manifest, right? So Christine and I, we're married. Do you know, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Look at her. We're so married. (laughs) The closer I get to Christine's heart, the more I want what she wants the more I want what God put in her to come to pass in her life. Does that make sense? It's, it's totally natural that the, the closer we get, the, the more entangled we become, the more we begin to live and breathe each other's destinies. Where it matters as much, if not more in my heart than my own, what I feel distinctly called to in the Lord, that we would see come to pass this, this incredible grace on her life. And it becomes mine, and I share it with her. And it's the same with the Lord. He wants to demonstrate his power constantly. He wants to pour his spirit out. He wants to pour his spirit out. You know, our nation is in line just to get rocked by the Holy Spirit. This nation of Australia is just in line. It's in his sights. Come on, he's not teasing us. He's not teasing us. And I don't want to spectate. I want to see this come to pass. And I'm asking him every day, every day throughout the day, God, make me more hungry. God, help me to pull aside more. Uh, Bill Johnson, uh, Christine and I, I know Mandy, Catherine as well, listened to this podcast recently. What was it called? Jumpstart Your Faith from Bethel Sermon of the Week. And he, he, he actually shared a similar sense that's happening at Bethel Church right now in their staff, uh, in their meetings, where there's just an increase. There is a pull to a deeper place with God for every individual. And he started to uh, encourage their community to insulate themselves by saying, if you pray 20 minutes a day, pray 40. If you read your Bible an hour, read it too. Put something aside. Put something aside. Respond. Insulate yourself for a move of his spirit. Ready yourself for a move of his spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm responding to that. I'm responding to that. He is ready. He is ready. I see him at each one of our ears. I see him ready to whisper, ready to whisper things to you about your own life, ready to, ready to just impart hunger to your spirit for more of his presence. I see him. I see him. He who has ears, let him hear. He's there. He's sowing. He's ready. He is hungry for hungry sons and daughters. Come on, he wants this. He really wants this. All right, I'm going to share a quick story. Is that cool? Praise God. Now, if you've heard me share this before, please lean in and listen afresh. 
but because there's something on this house, and I didn't actually know this the first time I shared this story. Harry, you're such a glorious man. Look, I got it here, but the fact that you saw that and almost lunged at me to help me was just so sweet. There's been a word spoken over this community in 2011 by Cindy Jacobs that there is a Argentine anointing on our church. And it's anointing for creative miracles and for revival. I didn't know that she'd spoken that, that word over our church when I first shared this word because it's been, it's been like probably an eight-year journey for me um, and I wasn't even part of Glory City when this began. So we're excited. We talk about this often, but... Uh, it started with a dream, and in the dream, I, I had a dream many years ago now, but probably eight years, and in the dream, Randy Clark was there. Does anyone know who Randy Clark is? Awesome. Um, Pastor Catherine's doing a conference with, oh, is it Randy? No, I think it's Bill and Todd and a whole bunch of guys. She's speaking at a huge event uh, in Portugal in May, I believe. I'm so excited about that. Just seeing her there just filled my heart with excitement. And Michael Koulianos as well, who's just a dynamic man. Um, but Randy Clark was in this dream. And I, I, I have a love for Randy Clark. I've done one of his ministry trips, and I've seen him speak a few times. Uh, and in this dream, he, it was a short dream. He said to me, you're going to see revival in the Grand Canyon. That was the sentence, right? And there was a relate. whoa. Thanks, Paul. You're going to see revival in the Grand Canyon. That's what he said. Now, there's a couple of other dynamics, but I don't, for the sake of time, I'm actually going to leave. The, the, there, was, there was a real message of relational revival from this dream. If you were here when I last shared that, it's still very equally important. But tonight, God wants to, he wants to provoke hunger from this. So I'm going to stay on this certain detail uh, he said, you're going to see revival in the Grand Canyon. I woke up, didn't know what it meant. I prayed about it for a handful of days, and then I, I kind of put it on the shelf because I couldn't get an interpretation, right? And then a few years went by. Christine and I moved to Darwin. Um, Glory City Darwin was planted. We're doing our thing, and, and we're building a friendship with Catherine. Uh, she came to visit once in Darwin, we're sitting in our living room, and I, I felt to share this dream with her because I didn't know what it meant. I hadn't, hadn't shared it very much with people. And she just made the comment. She said, you know, often in dreams, canyons can represent things that are missing, right? Things that are void, something that God wants to fill that's a void. And that really hit home for me, and um, so I took that away and kept praying about it. Now, shortly after this, we were in Port Pirie. Who knows where Port Pirie is? You've been there. There's an incredible church there called Glory City Wandera, which is right near Port Pirie. Some good friends of ours, the Joyces, lead that church. They're farmers, sixth-generation farmers. They talk like it, and they're magnificent. So we were down in Port Pirie running a Jesus school with Youth for Christ. Um, I think it was 2016. And we had an open night one night, and the Joyces were hosting this Jesus school. And um, they weren't yet a Glory City church. And one of their friends who came to this open night, his daughter actually had these really thick glasses because one of her eyes was pointed in. Have you ever seen that? 
totally pointed in, the other one was straight, and she had no depth perception in her eyes, so she would fall over things quite constantly. And uh, the first open night we had at our school, we felt to pray for eyes. You know, um, she came up for prayer, we took her glasses off, and we prayed. Now, we didn't see the eye move, but she felt her eyes change, and she felt depth in her vision. She's like, okay, that's cool. And she's walking around without having to walk slowly and carefully. Now, the next morning, she woke up and her eye was dead straight, completely healed. We've got before and after photos of that. And she keeps her glasses on the mantle in her room to, to remind herself of the, the goodness of God. So her father, um, his name's Steve, and he... Um, he came to the next open night because he was really impacted. And this guy's, this guy's an incredible guy. And um, he came up to me at this next open night and he gave me this book here. And I didn't know him from a bar of soap. I knew his daughter was healed. We'd celebrated about that, but that was it. Just met him. And he said, Mark, the Lord wants you to know that this is your Grand Canyon. Crazy, Right? He wouldn't have a clue about the dream I'd had probably two years earlier at that point. And he said, this is your Grand Canyon. Now, Randy Clark used the word revival, and this book's called The Secrets of the Argentine Revival. That's pretty uncanny. So I was like, well, I'm going to read that. Right? Thanks. Thank you. So I read it. I've read it multiple times now, and um, the thing that I feel so challenged uh, by this book is about hunger for God to move. This man, Edward Miller, his hunger for a move of God in Argentina impacted and changed that nation. So I'm going to tell you a little story from this. Is that cool? Then I'm going to read Cindy Jacob's word. So this table's part of it, by the way. Paul wasn't just... Playing a trick on me. Thanks, Paul. We love Paul. Um, so Edward Miller, he moves to Mendoza. Who's heard of Mendoza? It's in Argentina. It's a city there. Now, Argentina was known as the toughest nation in the Western Hemisphere to evangelize in. The AOG had been there for over 40 years, and they had a registered 170 souls across the whole nation. So that's, our church is bigger than the amount of AOG Christians there was in that nation. Uh, the, the missionary organization that Edward worked with had only registered 500 Christians in almost 50 years. The average church was four or five people, and eight to nine to ten was considered a big church. Right? And it was, it was a pagan nation. It was very, very, very challenging to preach the gospel. And Edward Miller was there. He moved to Mendoza to preach the gospel, to join this missionary effort. Now, the person he took over from had been there 45 years, and he'd seen three people saved. It's intense, right? Just try to put yourself in this, this with me. I've buried my heart in this story, and it's, it's provoked such hunger because God's linking something of this to our community as an opportunity for us, for a supernatural hunger, for, hunger, for a grace to pray, and for a radical obedience to the Lord, right? And so 
he, um, he decided, well, I know what to do, because, you know, Edward Miller grew up going to Amy Semple McPherson revival meetings, as well as Smith Wigglesworth meetings. So this guy had seen the power of God move. Edward Miller's father was a revivalist. But for many years, he had moved on. He had done Bible college. He, his things had dwindled. His focus had changed, right? And he'd stopped seeing miracles. And so now years later, he's in the mission field. He's, he's not walking in that charismatic uh, faith, and he's... But he decides, he's like, I know what to do. I've seen this in my childhood. I'm going to go, I'm going to have a revival meeting. So he goes to this place called La Vale, which means the valley. And it's this little town. And there's been very little missionary work done there. And him and some of his friends spend two weeks setting up a revival tent, praying, fasting, uh, speaking what they felt God's heart was. And then finally they came to run a revival meeting in La Vale. They were confident. They were excited. Can you imagine? Day one of the revival, zero people came. Like exactly zero. He, he makes a comment, not even a child came to see if it was a circus. So they tried the next day, no one came. The next day, no one came. They went for two weeks and no one came. And then it started to rain every day and it flooded their tent out. And they packed up and went home to Mendoza. And that was their experience. And they invested heaps of their missionary money into that. And they were discouraged. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. So he makes a decision. He says, he, now his church has eight members in it. And he, so he's doing pretty well compared to the average church. It's a mega church for Argentina. Joel Osteen, eat your heart out, hey? Right? So he, he says... I've got two options. I can keep this discouragement pathway into despair and I'll move back to America and I'll get a job. I'll have a decent life. I'll move on. I still love Jesus, but I failed. <clears throat> or I pray and I wait for God to do something in this nation. And so there's this little attic up in the church and he went up there and he decided, I'm going to fast and pray for seven days. So he did. He spent seven days fasting and praying. And he's just nothing. Nothing. Except the voice of the enemy frequently coming. Couldn't hear God. And he was discouraged again. And he went to leave his attic door. Because he was, he was like, I don't know what to do. I've tried fasting now. I've tried praying. And, and he had this realization with his hand on the door that if I leave this door now, not only will I go back to America, but now I'll begin to lose my faith because I sought God and didn't find him. And he began to be desperate in his heart and he felt so trapped. <laughs> Who's ever felt that? God wants us to feel that. He wants our community to feel that. Because we, we don't have to, but there's a perspective we can adopt that makes us feel trapped having to hunger for something more than we currently have. Does that make sense? Come on, who's ever felt that physical, painful hunger and yearning for more? He wants us to have that. Come on, it's on our house at the moment. And so he goes back. He's like, well, I'm just going to keep fasting and praying. He fasted and prayed for seven weeks. It's a long time. A long time. Guess what? Nothing happened. So he, he, <laughs> he says, well, I'm not going back to America I'm going to go stuff my pocket full of tracks. I'm going to go walk the streets and hand tracks out. I'm just going back to the old, the old way. So he goes, he sticks a bunch of tracks in his pocket, and he goes to leave the church, and there's a knock at the door. 
and it's one of his pastor friends from the city and his unsaved son. One thing leads to another, and he, they talk for a few hours. He doesn't end up going and evangelizing. And he asks this unborn-again son some questions. And before he knows it, the Holy Spirit just jumps on his son. And he's a mess on the floor and, and re repenting and gives his life to Jesus. And Ed was just like, oh. He hadn't seen that in all his years there. And the church just grew to nine. Now it's a mega church. Now it's starting to threaten the other local churches. <laughs> right? Crazy. So then he felt the Holy Spirit say, when I'm ready, I can bring all the, all the souls in the world to you. And then he said this. He said, hungry stomachs are not the coin of heaven. The blood of Jesus is. And he inspired Edward to put his heart on Christ and Christ's heart for that nation. And he, so he ran back up in the attic. And about a week later, he's praying, he's fasting, and he started to have personal revival because of what happened, right? About two weeks later, one to two weeks later, he felt the Lord crash into his room, envelop him, and he writes about it beautifully. He had an encounter. He was filled with the Spirit of God and with faith for a nation, and he felt the Lord say to him, I want you to go and start a prayer meeting at your local church on, from Monday and keep going until I tell you to stop. I want it to go from 8 p.m. till midnight. That's what the Lord said. This is an instruction, right? Did he have to do that? He didn't have to. He had to choose to. And so he did because he was hungry. Now, just about a month before that, he had tried a prayer meeting at his church and no one had come. There's not many at the church and they're not very hungry. So now he's like, okay, you want me to run another prayer meeting twice as long as the last one and you want it to end at midnight in the freezing cold where the buses stop running so people have to walk home. So he's not expecting anyone to come. See, obedience doesn't mean you have faith for it. It doesn't mean you feel it. It just means you're being obedient. Does that make sense? And so he goes and he, he says to his church, I'm starting a prayer meeting Monday, 8 till 12. Who wants to come? And three people volunteered. That's pretty good. That's almost half the church. So one of them was a tradesman and he came with his wife who was super quiet and shy. And the other one was a housemaid. Three of them. They came to the prayer meeting with Edward and his wife. And, and at 8 p.m. he said, all right, guys, let's pray. Who of you are filled with the Spirit? And none of them know what that meant. He said, okay, do you know how to, to see, speak in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit? No, we don't. He's like, okay, well, uh, why don't you say whatever comes to your heart and I'll lead the way. And he began to pray and, and sing hymns and, and, and just stir himself up in prayer. And he said it was like they were just watching him for four hours. Pray. Now, after four hours at midnight, he stopped and he said, all right, guys, it's midnight. Did any of you feel anything that would require an obedient response? That was his question, because he's starting to learn the power of obedience. Did any of you feel anything from the Lord that re would require an obedient response? Right? The husband said no, the maid said no, but this, this tradesman's wife said, well, I had this funny urge to walk over to this table and bang my fist on it. And he said, okay, that's different. Is that something you're willing to do? And she said, absolutely not. 
It's undignified. And it's silly. So she refused. So he said, okay, well, I might see you tomorrow night. We're going to go again, 8 till 12. Sure enough, Tuesday, 8 till 12, the same three people came. They sat there for four hours. He prayed. They were quiet. Midnight, that's a long prayer meeting. Hello. If God's not there, especially. Because he wasn't. He was not crashing in. And, and now Edward Miller knows what that is. He's waiting for God to crash in. And at 12, he says the same thing. Did God say anything to you that would require an obedient response? The husband said no. The housemaid said no. But his wife said, I feel that same urge to bang my fist on this table. He says, will you do it? She goes, no. <laughs> Sent them home again. He said, well, I might see you tomorrow night. And he went home the second night. And he was tormented. It's like, what am I doing? Getting these people out in the cold to pray. God's not showing up. And he's just, he's ever felt that doubt. He's like, well, I don't know what else to do. So he just went back on Wednesday. Sure enough, 8 till 12, same three people, same scenario. Did any of you feel anything that would require an obedient response? No, no, yes. The table. Will you do it? No. Okay, well, I might see you tomorrow night, Thursday night. Eight till 12, same three people. Midnight comes. Did you hear anything that would require an obedient response? No, no. The table. This wife just couldn't shake this urge. And so Edward goes, that's it. Everyone stand up. And he walked them over to the table. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around the table in a circle. All of us. And we're going to sing a hymn. And one by one, we're all going to bang our fists on the table. Starting with me, then my wife, then you to the tradesman, then you to the, the housemaid. And then he looks at the wife and he goes, then you. <laughs> and she agreed. So they start to sing this hymn and they walk around this table. I'm not going to sing a hymn. Right? They're walking around the table. I'm sorry, is this, can you imagine how silly this looks? What kind of thoughts he might be having? Remember, there's, there's 500 recorded Christians in the nation from 50 years of missionary efforts. It is pagan. It appears as though God has rejected a nation. He's tried and tried and tried and nothing. And now he's just going on obedience. I love this. Hunger and obedience. Even if it costs dignity, right? Gosh, wouldn't it be amazing if, <clears throat> if we could have the thing we want the most, regardless of what we look like when we get it, and none of us cared anymore? Oh, man, I just wonder, what, what's, what, what are we willing to give? I ask myself, I'm asking myself, what are we willing to give for this? I have to see beyond the things I read about. <clears throat> I have to see it. Argentina was in a, such a worse state than this nation here that we, we live in. God is ready. He is ready for this. And so they walked around the table one by one. They bang it. And then finally, it gets to the wife. She musters up all the courage she can. She bangs it. And the second she bangs that table, 
guess what happens? Revival. The Holy Spirit crashed into that room like the sound of a mighty rushing wind and he swept through that building. He swept through and this husband, this tradesman husband, collapses in a heap. The housemaid stands straight up like this and her appearance of her face changes and it begins to glow and she begins to sing in other tongues. Crazy. Edward falls to his knees. The the weighty, glory presence of the Holy Spirit has filled that room, has entered that nation. And then the wife hasn't seen, she's watching it happen and she goes, me too, Lord. Don't pass me over, God. Thinking, well, it took so long. Now he's going to wait four days before he... And before she could finish saying it, she's gone. The next night, the building was full to overflowing. Souls, 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 miracles, miracles, miracles. For one year straight, every night from 8 till 2 to 4 the next morning, it was packed. The streets were full. The city was transformed by the gospel. Miracles started to break out. Demons started to leave people. People let go of their idols and revival started because a lady was obedient and and a man was hungry and he prayed about it. Cindy Jacobs said that God has deposited a spirit of the Argentine revival in our house, an anointing of what was poured out in a nation that's now known as a Christian nation, from pagan to Christian. There is a prophetic declaration over our house that this is for us, which means it's for our nation. But are we willing to be uncomfortable? Are we willing to be made hungry? Are we willing to pray beyond the point of convenience? Because his hand is on us to gift us with everything we need for it in this season. Joe, there's so much I could read from this book. It goes on and on and on. And let's throw some photos up. A A few years later, it grew to such a degree that a man named Tommy Hicks, a revivalist from America, went over to Argentina. Who knows the story of Tommy Hicks? He gets to meet the president at the time because he says, if I can get into the president and preach the gospel, he could give me the biggest stadium I could find and access to the radio. And we can keep this revival moving. And so he goes and they don't let him into the presidential house. So he preaches the gospel to the security guard who happens to have hepatitis C and a lot of pain in his body. He grabs the security guard's hand and he's delivered of hepatitis C at the gate of the presidential house. So he goes, come back tomorrow, I'll get you into the president. He sits at the presidential desk with Peron. Did I say it right? Yes. Peron, the president at the time, who happens to have a disfiguring skin disease called psoriasis, so bad that he hasn't been out in public for months because of it. And Tommy Hicks says, God's come to your nation and I need a stadium and access to the radios because he wants to heal people. He wants to deliver people. He wants to set your nation free. And the, the, the president says, hold on, hold on. He heals? Your God heals? Can he heal me? So over the presidential table, he grabs the hand of this president and he's in front of their eyes delivered of this disease, completely clean skin. So the president says, pick a stadium and here's access to the radio. So he starts in a stadium of 25,000. This is the beginning of his revival meetings. 
Let's go to the next. Oh, there's, there's, there's tons of these photos. Just, um, whoa. The, the, they had a whole system set up just to remove wheelchairs and crutches and all these things from these meetings. Let's go to the next one. Look at that. Oh, <clears throat> this is 25,000 people. Whoa. But then they are putting such a strain because thousands and thousands, more than 25,000, are, are bursting into this stadium and it can't be contained. So the government begged them to move to a different stadium and they gave them the biggest stadium in the nation. Now this stadium could seat uh, 65,000, but if you could fill that oval, you could fit 110,000 people in there. And for 55 days, they had meetings nonstop all day right into the night, all day, right into the night. And the government and the police force estimated that over six million people passed through that stadium in 55 days and hundreds of thousands gave their lives to the Lord. Come on. This is recent history. Many of us were alive while this was happening. And God wants to do it again. That's a bigger stadium than the one just down the road here. Man, I want to see God move. I want to see God move. I know we all do. There's an opportunity for prayer, radical prayer and obedience. You know, tonight we're going to take communion like we always do. But I want, to, I want our communion group leaders and, and in our communion groups, I want to focus on this. I want to take this principle of focus and if we could just as a family knit our hearts together with a mission to hunger after a move of God's spirit, he will surprise us. He'll do the things we've dreamed about and I feel him actually removing disappointment tonight. He's removing disappointment because there's, there's certain miracles and breakthroughs people were waiting for that they didn't see and it undermined their faith and God's giving it back tonight. He wants to give it back. Come on, we're just going to see more and more and more testimonies. Every week there's testimonies. I mean, tuberculosis being healed. Bill Johnson's comment, there's an oak tree in the acorn. If we can learn to celebrate, if we can learn to give glory to God. I mean, tuberculosis left someone's body in this building right here. If we can learn to just, just eat it and feast on it, and, and just meditate on it, and dream about it. We're just going to see an explosion of miracles, an explosion of power. We're going to see it in this church. It's going to burst at the seams. We're going to see a harvest of souls in this church. It's up to us. Are we going to settle, or are we going to be hungry? Come on, let's be hungry. There is such a divine moment upon us right now. By the way, a personal note that really blessed me is that there were 550,000 Bibles in print in Argentina when Tommy Hicks meetings were happening. Every single one in the nation was sent here and given to new believers. And then they started reaching out to the surrounding nations to send them Bibles for new believers. This is, this is enormous. Ah, oh, and it's on God's heart. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's wanting a people who are hungry, who will pray, and will be obedient to what he puts on their hearts. And this is what we feel is on our house right now. So we're pursuing to be obedient. 
Cindy Jacobs, 25th of September, 2011, said this. The Lord says there are going to be so many miracles. There is going to be an increase of miracles. And today, I leave in this house a deposit of the Argentine anointing. Yes, Jesus, just like the revival of Argentina, people will say, they will say it, they will say it, they will say it. There is an Argentine fire in Australia, creative miracles and more. That's what it is in Jesus' name. Oh, let's have it. Let's receive it. Oh, why don't we stand for a moment? Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.